The Return of the King, Book 2, Chapter 8, Part 2, The Scouring of the Shire. When Sam got back, he found the whole village roused. Already, apart from many younger lads, more than a hundred sturdy hobbits were assembled with axes and heavy hammers and long knives and stout staves, and a few had hunting bows. More were still coming in from outlying farms. Some of the village folk had lit a large fire, just to enliven things, and also because it was one of the things forbidden by the chief. It burned bright as, it burned bright as night came on. Others, at Mary's orders, were sitting at barriers across the road at each end of the village. When the sheriffs came up to the lower one they were dumbfounded, but as soon as they saw how things were, most of them took off their feathers and joined in the revolt. The others slunk away. Sam found Frodo and his friends by the fire talking to old Tom Cotton, while an admiring crowd of Bywater folk stood round and stared. "'Well, what's the next move?' said Farmer Cotton." "'I can't say,' said Frodo, "'until I know more. "'How many of these ruffians are there?' "'That's hard to tell,' said Cotton. "'They moves about and comes and goes. "'There's sometimes fifty of them in the sheds up Hobbiton Way, "'but they go out from there roving round, "'thieving, or gathering, as they call it. "'Still, there's seldom less than a score round the boss, "'as they names him. "'He's at Bag End, or was, "'but he don't go outside the grounds now. "'No one's seen him at all, in fact, for a week or two, "'but the men don't let no one go near.' "'Hobbiton's not their only place, is it?' said Pippin. "'No, more's the pity,' said Cotton. "'There's a good few down south in Longbottom, and by Sarn Ford, I hear, "'and some more lurking in the woody end, and they've sheds at Waymeet. "'And then there's the lock-holes, as they call them, "'the old storage tunnels at Mitchell Delving, "'that they've made into prisons for those as stand up to them. "'Still, I reckon there's not above three hundred of them in the Shire, all told, "'and maybe less. We can master them, if we stick together.' "'Have they got any weapons?' asked Mary. "'Whips, knives, and clubs, enough for their dirty work. "'That's all they've showed so far,' said Cotton. "'But I dare say they've got other gear if it comes to fighting. "'Some have bows, anyway. "'They've shot one or two of our folk.' "'There you are, Frodo,' said Mary. "'I knew we should have to fight. "'Well, they started the killing.' "'Not exactly,' said Cotton. "'Leastways, not the shooting. "'Tooks started that.' "'You see, your dad, Mr. Peregrine, he's never had no truck with this Lotho, not from the beginning. "'Said that if anyone was going to play the chief at this time of day, "'it would be the right thane of the shire and no upstart. "'And when Lotho sent his men, they got no change out of him. "'Tooks are lucky. They've got those deep holes in the green hills, "'the great smiles and all, and the ruffians can't come at them, "'and they won't let the ruffians come on their land. "'If they do, Tooks hunt em. Took shot three for prowling and robbing. After that the ruffians turn nastier, and they keep a pretty close watch on Tookland. No one gets in, nor out of it now. "'Good for the Tooks!' cried Pippin. "'But someone is going to get in again now. I am off to the smiles. Anyone coming with me to Tuckborough?' Pippin rode off with half a dozen lads on ponies. "'See you soon,' he cried. "'It's only fourteen miles or so over the fields. I'll bring you back an army of Tooks in the morning.' Mary blew a horn-call after them as they rode off into the gathering night. The people cheered. "'All the same,' said Frodo to all those who stood near, "'I wish for no killing, not even of the ruffians, unless it must be done, to prevent them from hurting hobbits.' "'All right,' said Mary, "'but we shall be having a visit from the Hobbiton gang any time now, I think. They won't come just to talk things over. We'll try to deal with them neatly, but we must be prepared for the worst. Now I've got a plan.' 
"'Very good,' said Frodo. "'You make the arrangements.' Just then some hobbits who had been sent out towards Hobbiton came running in. "'They're coming,' they said, "'a score or more, but two have gone off west across country.' "'To weigh meat, that'll be,' said Cotton, "'to fetch more of the gang. "'Well, it's fifteen mile each way. "'We needn't trouble about them just yet.' Mary hurried off to give orders. Farmer Cotton cleared the street, sending everyone indoors, except the older hobbits who had weapons of some sort. They had not long to wait. Soon they could hear loud voices, and then the tramping of heavy feet. Presently a whole squad of the ruffians came down the road. They saw the barrier and laughed. They did not imagine that there was anything in this little land that would stand up to twenty of their kind together. The hobbits opened the barrier and stood aside. "'Thank you,' the men jeered. "'Now run home to bed before you're whipped.' Then they marched along the street, shouting, "'Put those lights out! Get indoors and stay there! Or we'll take fifty of you to the lock-holes for a year! Get in! The boss is losing his temper!' No one paid any heed to their orders, but as the ruffians passed they closed in quietly behind and followed them. When the men reached the fire there was Farmer Cotton standing all alone, warming his hands." "'Who are you, and what do you think you're doing?' said the ruffian leader. Farmer Cotton looked at him slowly. "'I was just going to ask you that,' he said. "'This isn't your country, and you're not wanted.' "'Well, you're wanted anyhow,' said the leader. "'We want you. Take him, lads. Lock holes for him, and give him something to keep him quiet.' The men took one step forward and stopped short. There rose a roar of voices all round them, and suddenly they were aware that Farmer Cotton was not all alone.' They were surrounded. In the dark, on the edge of the firelight, stood a ring of hobbits that had crept up out of the shadows. There were nearly two hundred of them, all holding some weapon. Mary stepped forward. "'We have met before,' he said to the leader, "'and I warned you not to come back here. I warn you again. You are standing in the light, and you are covered by archers. If you lay a finger on this farmer or on anyone else, you will be shot at once.' "'Lay down any weapons that you have.' "'The leader looked round. "'He was trapped, but he was not scared, "'not now with a score of his fellows to back him. "'He knew too little of hobbits to understand his peril. "'Foolishly he decided to fight. "'It would be easy to break out. "'Adam, lads!' he cried. "'Let him have it!' "'With a long knife in his left hand "'and a club in the other, "'he made a rush at the ring, "'trying to burst out back towards Hobbiton.' He aimed a savage blow at Mary, who stood in his way. He fell dead, with four arrows in him. That was enough for the others. They gave in. Their weapons were taken from them, and they were roped together and marched off to an empty hut that they had built themselves, and there they were tied hand and foot, and locked up under guard. Their dead leader was dragged off and buried. "'Seems almost too easy after all, don't it?' said Cotton. "'I said we could master them, but we needed a call.' "'You came back in the nick of time, Mr. Mary.' "'There's more to be done still,' said Mary. "'If you're right in your reckoning, we haven't dealt with a tithe of them yet. "'But it's dark now. I think the next stroke must wait until morning. "'Then we must call on the chief.' "'Why not now?' said Sam. "'It's not much more than six o'clock, and I want to see my gaffer. "'Do you know what's come of him, Mr. Cotton?' "'He's not too well, and not too bad, Sam,' said the farmer. "'They dug up Bagshot Row, and that was a sad blow to him. "'He's in one of them new houses that the chief's men used to build "'while they still did any work other than burning and thieving, "'not above a mile from the end of Bywater. 
but he comes round to me when he gets a chance, and I see he's better fed than some of the poor bodies. All against the rules, of course. I'd have had him with me, but that wasn't allowed. Thank ye indeed, Mr. Cotton, and I'll never forget it, said Sam. But I want to see him. That boss and that sharky, as they spoke of, they might do a mischief up there before the morning. All right, Sam, said Cotton. Choose a lad or two, and go and fetch him to my house. You'll not have need to go near the old Hobbiton village over water. My jolly here will show you. Sam went off. Mary arranged for lookouts round the village and guards at the barriers during the night. Then he and Frodo went off with Farmer Cotton. They sat with the family in the warm kitchen, and the Cottons asked a few polite questions about their travels, but hardly listened to the answers. They were far more concerned with events in the Shire. "'It all began with Pimple, as we call him,' said Farmer Cotton, "'and it began as soon as you'd gone off, Mr. Frodo. "'He'd funny ideas, had Pimple. "'Seems he wanted to own everything himself, and then order other folk about. "'It soon came out that he already did own a sight more than was good for him, "'and he was always grabbing more, though where he got the money was a mystery. "'Mills and malt-houses and inns and farms and leaf-plantations. "'He'd already bought Sandy Man's mill before he came to Bag End, seemingly.' Of course he started with a lot of property in the south farthing which he had from his dad, and it seems he'd been selling a lot of the best leaf and sending it away quietly for a year or two. But at the end of last year he began sending away loads of stuff, not only leaf. Things began to get short, and winter coming on, too. Folk got angry, but he had his answer. A lot of men, ruffians mostly, came with great wagons, some to carry off the goods south away, and others to stay. And more came and before we knew where we were they were planted here and there all over the shire and were felling trees and digging and building themselves sheds and houses just as they liked at first goods and damage was paid for by pimple but soon they began lording it about and taking what they wanted then there was a bit of trouble but not enough old will the mayor set off for bag end to protest but he never got there ruffians laid hands on him and took and locked him up in a hole in mitchell delving and there he is now and after that, it would soon it would be soon after New Year, there wasn't no more mayor, and Pimple called himself Chief Sheriff, or just Chief, and did as he liked, and if anyone got uppish, as they called it, they followed Will. So things went from bad to worse. There wasn't no smoke left, save for the men, and the chief didn't hold with beer, save for his men, and closed all the inns, and everything except rules got shorter and shorter, unless one could hide a bit of one's own when the ruffians went round gathering stuff up for fair distribution, which meant they got it and we didn't, except for the leavings which you could have at the sheriff-houses if you could stomach them. All very bad. But since Sharky came it's been plain ruination.' "'Who is this Sharky?' said Mary. "'I heard one of the ruffians speak of him.' "'The biggest ruffian of the lot, seemingly,' answered Cotton. "'It was about last harvest, end of September, maybe, that we first heard of him. "'We've never seen him, but he's up at Bag End, and he's the real chief now, I guess. "'All the ruffians do what he says, and what he says is mostly hack, burn, and ruin. "'And now it's come to killing.' "'There's no longer even any bad sense in it. "'They cut down trees and let them lie. "'They burn houses and build no more. "'Take Sandy Man's mill now. "'Pimple knocked it down almost as soon as he came to Bag End. "'Then he brought in a lot of dirty-looking men to build a bigger one "'and fill it full of wheels and outlandish contraptions. "'Only that fool Ted was pleased by that, "'and he works there cleaning wheels for the men, "'where his dad was the miller and his own master.' Pimple's idea was to grind more and faster, 
or so he said. He's got other mills like it. But you've got to have grist before you can grind, and there was no more for the new mill to do than for the old. But since Sharky came, they don't grind no more corn at all. There are always a hammering and a letting out a smoke and a stench, and there isn't no peace even at night in Hobbiton. And they pour out filth a purpose. They've fouled all the lower water, and it's getting down into brandywine. If they want to make the Shire into a desert, they're going the right way about it. I don't believe that fool of a pimple's behind all this. It's Sharky, I say. That's right, put in young Tom. Why, they even took Pimple's old ma, that Lobelia, and he was fond of her, if no one else was. Some of the Hobbiton folk, they saw it. She comes down the lane with her old umbrella. Some of the ruffians were going up with a big cart. Where be you a-going, says she. To bag in, says they. What for, says she. To put up some sheds for Sharky, says they. Who said you could, says she. Sharky, says they, so get out of the road, old haggling. I'll give you Sharky, you dirty thieving ruffian, says she, and ups with her umbrella, and goes for the leader near twice her size. So they took her, dragged her off to the lock holes, and at her age, too. They've took most others we miss more. Whoops. They've took others we miss more, but there's no denying she's showed more spirit than most. Into the middle of this talk came Sam, bursting in with his gaffer. Old Gamgee did not look much older, but he was a little deafer. "'Good evening, Mr. Baggins,' he said. "'Glad indeed I am to see you safe back. "'But I've a bone to pick with you, in a manner of speaking, if I may make so bold. "'You didn't never ought to have a sold bag end, as I always said. "'That's what started all the mischief. "'And while you've been a trapassing in foreign parts, "'chasing black men up mountains, from what my Sam says, "'though what for he don't make clear, "'they've been and dug up Bagshot Row, and ruined my taters.' "'I am very sorry, Mr. Gamgee,' said Frodo. "'But now I've come back, and I'll do my best to make amends.' "'Well, you can't say fairer than that,' said the gaffer. "'Mr. Frodo Baggins is a real gentle hobbit, I always have said, "'whatever you may think of some others of the name, begging your pardon. "'And I hope my Sam has behaved himself and given satisfaction.' "'Perfect satisfaction, Mr. Gamgee,' said Frodo. "'Indeed, if you will believe it, he is now one of the most famous people in all the lands, "'and they are making songs about his deeds from here to the sea and beyond the great river.' "'Sam blushed, but he looked gratefully at Frodo, for Rosie's eyes were shining, and she was smiling at him. "'It takes a lot of believing,' said the gaffer, "'though I can see he's been mixing in strange company. "'What's come of his waistcoat? "'I don't hold with wearing ironmongery, whether it wears well or no.' Farmer Cotton's household and all his guests were up early next morning. Nothing had been heard in the night, but more trouble would certainly come before the day was old. "'Seems as if none of the ruffians were left up at Bag End,' said Cotton, "'but the gang from Waymeat will be along any time now.' After breakfast a messenger from the Tookland rode in. He was in high spirits. "'The Thane has raised all our country,' he said, "'and the news is going like fire all ways.' The ruffians that were watching our land have fled off south, those that escaped alive. The thane has gone after them, to hold off the big gang down that way, but he sent Mr. Peregrine back with all the other folk he can spare. The next news was less good. Mary, who had been out all night, came riding in about ten o'clock. 
"'There's a big band about four miles away,' he said. "'They're coming along the road from Waymeet, "'but a good many stray ruffians have joined up with them. "'There must be close on a hundred of them, "'and they're fire-raising as they come. Curse them.' "'Ah, this lot won't stay to talk. "'They'll kill if they can,' said Farmer Cotton. "'If Tooks don't come sooner, "'we'd best get behind cover and shoot without arguing. "'There's got to be some fighting before this is settled, Mr. Frodo.' The Tooks did come sooner. Before long they marched in, a hundred strong, from Tuckborough and the Green Hills, with Pippin at their head. Mary now had enough sturdy hobbitry to deal with the ruffians. Scouts reported that they were keeping close together. They knew that the countryside had risen against them, and plainly meant to deal with the rebellion ruthlessly, at its centre in Bywater. But however grim they might be, they seemed to have no leader among them who understood warfare. They came on without any precautions. Mary laid his plans quickly. The ruffians came tramping up along the east road, and without halting turned up the Bywater Road, which ran for some way sloping up between high banks with low hedges on top. Round a bend, about a furlong from the main road, they met a stout barrier of old farm carts upturned. That halted them. At the same moment they became aware that the hedges on both sides, just above their heads, were all lined with hobbits. Behind them other hobbits now pushed out some wagons that had been hidden in a field, and so blocked the way back. A voice spoke to them from above. "'Well, you have walked into a trap,' said Mary. "'Your fellows from Hobbiton did the same, and one is dead, and the rest are prisoners. Lay down your weapons, then go back twenty paces and sit down. Any who try to break out will be shot.' But the ruffians could not now be cowed so easily. A few of them obeyed, but were immediately set on by their fellows. A score or more broke back and charged the wagons. Six were shot, but the remainder burst out, killing two hobbits, and then scattering across country in the direction of the woody end. Two more fell as they ran. Mary blew a loud horn call, and there were answering calls from a distance. "'They won't get far,' said Pippin. "'All that country is alive with our hunters now.' Behind, the trapped men in the lane, still about fourscore, tried to climb the barrier and the banks, and the hobbits were obliged to shoot many of them or hew them with axes, but many of the strongest and most desperate got out on the west side, and attacked their enemies fiercely, being now more bent on killing than escaping. Several hobbits fell, and the rest were wavering, when Mary and Pippin, who were on the east side, came across and charged the ruffians. Mary himself slew the leader, a great squint-eyed brute like a huge orc. Then he drew his forces off, encircling the last remnant of the men, in a wide ring of archers. At last all was over. Nearly seventy of the ruffians lay dead on the field, and a dozen were prisoners. Nineteen hobbits were killed, and some thirty were wounded. The dead ruffians were laden on wagons, and hauled off to an old sand-pit nearby, and there buried. In the battle-pit, as it was afterwards called." The fallen hobbits were laid together in a grave on the hillside, where later a great stone was set up with a garden about it. So ended the Battle of Bywater, 1419, the last battle fought in the Shire, and the only battle since the Greenfields, 1147, away up in the North Farthing. In consequence, though it happily cost very few lives, it has a chapter to itself in the Red Book, and the names of all those who took part were made into a roll, and learned by heart by Shire historians. The very considerable rise in the fame and fortune of the Cottons dates from this time, 
but at the top of the roll in all accounts stand the names of Captains Mariadoc and Peregrine. Frodo had been in the battle, but he had not drawn sword, and his chief part had been to prevent the hobbits in their wrath at their losses, from slaying those of their enemies who threw down their weapons. When the fighting was over, and the later labours were ordered, Mary, Pippin, and Sam joined him, and they rode back with the cottons. They ate a late midday meal, and then Frodo said with a sigh, "'Well, I suppose it is time now that we dealt with the chief.' "'Yes, indeed, the sooner the better,' said Mary. "'And don't be too gentle. "'He's responsible for bringing in these ruffians "'and for all the evil they have done.' "'Farmer Cotton collected an escort "'of some two dozen sturdy hobbits. "'For it's only a guess "'that there is no ruffians left at Bag End,' he said. "'We don't know.' "'Then they set out on foot. "'Frodo, Sam, Mary, and Pippin led the way. "'It was one of the saddest hours in their lives. "'The great chimney rose up before them,' and as they drew near the old village across the water, through rows of new mean houses along each side of the road, they saw the new mill in all its frowning and dirty ugliness, a great brick building straddling the stream, which it fouled with a steaming and stinking outflow. All along the Bywater Road every tree had been felled. As they crossed the bridge and looked up the hill they gasped. Even Sam's vision in the mirror had not prepared him for what they saw. The old grange on the west side had been knocked down, and its place taken by rows of tarred sheds. All the chestnuts were gone. The banks and hedgerows were broken. Great wagons were standing in disorder in a field beaten bare of grass. Bagshot Row was a yawning sand and gravel quarry. Bag End up beyond could not be seen for the clutter of large huts. "'They've cut it down!' cried Sam. "'They've cut down the party-tree!' He pointed to where the tree had stood under which Bilbo had made his farewell speech. It was lying lopped and dead in the field. As if this was the last straw, Sam burst into tears. A laugh put an end to them. There was a surly hobbit lounging over the low wall of the mill-yard. He was grimy-faced and black-handed. "'Don't he like it, Sam?' he sneered. "'But you always was soft.' "'I thought you'd gone off in one of them ships you used to prattle about. "'Sailing, sailing. What do you want to come back for? "'We've work to do in the Shire now.' "'So I see,' said Sam. "'No time for washing, but time for wall-propping. "'But see here, Master Sandyman, "'I've a score to pay in this village, "'and don't you make it any longer with your jeering, "'or you'll foot a bill too long for your purse.' "'Ted Sandyman spat over the wall.' "'Garn,' he said, "'you can't touch me. "'I'm a friend of the bosses. "'But he'll touch you all right "'if I have any more of your mouth.' "'Don't waste any more words on the fool, Sam,' said Frodo. "'I hope there are not many more hobbits "'that have become like this. "'It would be a worse trouble "'than all the damage the men have done.' "'You are dirty and insolent, Sandy Man,' said Mary, "'and also very much out of your reckoning. "'We are just going up the hill "'to remove your precious boss. "'We have dealt with his men.' Ted gaped, for at that moment he first caught sight of the escort that, at a sign from Mary, now marched over the bridge. Dashing back into the mill, he ran out with a horn and blew it loudly. "'Save your breath,' laughed Mary. "'I've a better.' Then, lifting up his silver horn, he winded it, and its clear call rang over the hill, and out of the holes and sheds and shabby houses of Hobbiton the hobbits answered, and came pouring out. With cheers and loud cries they followed the company up—whoops, sorry— and out of the holes and sheds and shabby houses of Hobbiton the hobbits answered, and came pouring out. 
and with cheers and loud cries they followed the company up the road to Bag End. At the top of the lane the party halted, and Frodo and his friends went on, and they came at last to the once-beloved place. The garden was full of huts and sheds, some so near the old westward windows that they cut off all their light. There were piles of refuse everywhere. The door was scarred, the bell-chain was dangling loose, and the bell would not ring. Knocking brought no answer. At length they pushed, and the door yielded. They went in. The place stank and was full of filth and disorder. It did not appear to have been used for some time. "'Where is that miserable Lotho hiding?' said Mary. They had searched every room, and found no living thing save rats and mice. "'Shall we turn on the others to search the sheds?' "'This is worse than Mordor,' said Sam. "'Much worse, in a way. It comes home to you, as they say, because it is home, and you remember it before it was all ruined.' "'Yes, this is Mordor,' said Frodo, "'just one of its works. "'Sauramon was doing its work all the time, "'even when he thought he was working for himself, "'and the same with those that Sauramon tricked, like Lotho.' "'Mary looked round in dismay and disgust. "'Let's get out,' he said. "'If I had known all the mischief he had caused, "'I should have stuffed my pouch down Sauramon's throat.' "'No doubt, no doubt, but you did not, "'and so I am able to welcome you home.' There, standing at the door, was Sauramon himself, looking well-fed and well-pleased. His eyes gleamed with malice and amusement. A sudden light broke on Frodo. Sharky! he cried. Sauramon laughed. "'So you have heard the name, have you? All my people used to call me that in Isengard, I believe. A sign of affection, possibly. But evidently—oh, here's a footnote. Uh, about Sharky. It was probably orcish in origin.' Sharku, old man. "'But evidently you did not expect to see me here.' "'I did not,' said Frodo, "'but I might have guessed. "'A little mischief in a mean way. "'Gandalf warned me that you were still capable of it.' "'Quite capable,' said Sauramon, "'and more than a little. "'You made me laugh, you hobbit lordlings, "'riding along with all those great people, "'so secure and so pleased with your little selves.' You thought you had done very well out of it all, and could now just amble back and have a quiet time in the country. Sauramon's home could be all wrecked, and he could be turned out, but no one could touch yours. Oh, no, Gandalf would look after your affairs. Sauramon laughed again. Not he. When his tools have done their task, he drops them. But you must go dangling after him, dawdling and talking, and riding round twice as far as you needed. Well, thought I, if they are such fools, I will get ahead of them and teach them a lesson. One ill turn deserves another. It would have been a sharper lesson if only you had given me a little more time and more men. Still, I have already done much that you will find it hard to mend or undo in your lives, and it will be pleasant to think of that, and set it against my injuries. Well, if that is what you find pleasure in, said Frodo, I pity you. It will be a pleasure of memory only, I fear. Go at once, and never return." The hobbits of the villages had seen Sauramon come out of one of the huts, and at once they came crowding up to the door of Bag End. When they heard Frodo's command, they murmured angrily, "'Don't let him go! Kill him! He's a villain and a murderer! Kill him!' Sauramon looked round at their hostile faces and smiled. "'Kill him!' he mocked. "'Kill him, if you think there are enough of you, my brave hobbits!' He drew himself up and stared at them darkly with his black eyes. "'But do not think that when I lost all my goods I lost all my power. 
Whoever strikes me shall be accursed, and if my blood stains the shire, it shall wither and never again be healed. The hobbits recoiled, but Frodo said, Do not believe him. He has lost all power, save his voice that can still daunt you and deceive you, if you let it. But I will not have him slain. It is useless to meet revenge with revenge. It will heal nothing. Go, Sauriman, by the speediest way. Worm, worm, Sauriman called, and out of a nearby hut came Wormtongue, crawling almost like a dog. To the road again, worm, said Sauriman. These fine fellows and lordlings are turning us adrift again. Come along. Sauriman turned to go, and Wormtongue shuffled after him. But even as Sauriman passed close to Frodo, a knife flashed in his hand, and he stabbed swiftly. The blade turned on the hidden mail-coat and snapped. A dozen hobbits, led by Sam, leaped forward with a cry and flung the villain to the ground. Sam drew his sword. "'No, Sam,' said Frodo, "'do not kill him even now, for he has not hurt me. And in any case I do not wish him to be slain in this evil mood. He was great once.' of a noble kind, that we should not dare to raise our hands against. He is fallen, and his cure is beyond us. But I would still spare him, in the hope that he may find it. Sauriman rose to his feet and stared at Frodo. There was a strange look in his eyes of mingled wonder and respect and hatred. "'You have grown, halfling,' he said. "'Yes, you have grown very much. You are wise and cruel.' You have robbed my revenge of sweetness, and now I must go hence in bitterness, in debt to your mercy. I hate it, and you. Well, I go, and I will trouble you no more. But do not expect me to wish you health and long life. You will have neither. But that is not my doing. I merely foretell. He walked away, and the hobbits made a lane for him to pass, but their knuckles whitened as they gripped on their weapons. Wormtongue hesitated, and then followed his master. "'Wormtongue,' called Frodo, "'you need not follow him. "'I know of no evil you have done to me. "'You can have rest and food here for a while "'until you are stronger, and can go your own ways.' "'Wormtongue halted and looked back at him, "'half prepared to stay. "'Sauriman turned. "'No evil,' he cackled. "'Oh, no. "'Even when he sneaks out at night, "'it is only to look at the stars. "'But did I hear someone ask you— "'But did I hear someone ask "'where poor Lotho is hiding?' "'You know, don't you, Worm? Will you tell them?' Wormtongue cowered down and whimpered. "'No, no!' "'Then I will,' said Sauriman. "'Worm killed your chief, poor little fellow, your nice little boss, didn't you, Worm? Stabbed him in his sleep, I believe. Buried him, I hope, though Worm has been very hungry lately. No, Worm is not really nice. You had better leave him to me.' A look of wild hatred came into Wormtongue's red eyes. "'You told me to! You made me do it!' he hissed. Sauriman laughed. "'You do what Sharky says, always, don't you, Worm? Well, now he says follow.' He kicked Wormtongue in the face as he groveled and turned and made off, but at that something snapped. Suddenly Wormtongue rose up, drawing a hidden knife, and then with a snarl like a dog he sprang on Sauriman's back, jerked his head back, cut his throat, and with a yell ran off down the lane." Before Frodo could recover or speak a word, three hobbit bows twanged, and Wormtongue fell dead. To the, to the dismay of those that stood by, about the body of Saruman a grey mist gathered, and rising slowly to a great height like smoke from a fire, as a pale shrouded figure it loomed over the hill. For a moment it wavered, looking to the west, but out of the west came a cold wind, and it bent away, 
and with a sigh dissolved into nothing. Frodo looked down at the body with pity and horror, for as he looked it seemed that long years of death were suddenly revealed in it, and it shrank, and the shriveled face became rags of skin upon a hideous skull. Lifting up the skirt of the dirty cloak that sprawled beside it, he covered it over and turned away. "'And that's the end of that,' said Sam. "'A nasty end, and I wish I needn't have seen it, but it's a good riddance.' "'And the very last end of the war, I hope,' said Mary. "'I hope so,' said Frodo, and sighed. "'The very last stroke. "'But to think that it should fall here, at the very door of Bag End, "'among all my hopes and fears, at least I never expected that.' "'I shan't call it the end till we've cleared up the mess,' said Sam gloomily. "'And that'll take a lot of time and work.' End of chapter 8, read by Kara Schallenberg, www.kray.org, on Tuesday, April 7th, 2015, in San Diego, California.